this movie sucked. Live from the Mundangerous Film Festival in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 359 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon and how to take inspiration from it and other bad movies for your campaign. But first, the party creeps in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Death Star rains fire from above in the Character Creation Forge. I mean, it's not good, but it's like, it's... It's just a movie. (laughs) Is it? Are you sure it's not the death of Western civilization, which, by the way, was created by by the Greeks (laughs) and I think specifically the 300 Spartans, right? They they created Western civilization. So not worth the amount of ink and YouTube minutes that have been spilled on this film. This is the worst movie since Andy Samberg's Hot Rod. And that is saying a lot. Did that come out before or after Thor 4? (laughs) Did that come out before or after Doctor Strange 2? Did that come out before or after the Ant-Man thing? Did that come out before or after the Marvels? Like, what are we talking about? These movies are not good. It's the worst movie that I've seen since Hot Rod. The new Suicide Squad. You know they made two Suicide Squads? Did they really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. You would think after the first one, the problem would have taken care of itself. No. No, they didn't even fix the editing in the second one. It's amazing. Apparently, it's it's about something totally different than the Virgin Suicides. Who knew? Uh, yeah, there uh no overlap between those two films. Weird. A shame. There should be a crossover. <laughs> yes. They should let let Sofia Coppola direct a, a comic movie. <laughs> Great. Nothing will happen per usual. <laughs> exactly. It'll fit perfectly in Marvel. It'll still win an Oscar. Well, for visual effects. <laughs> Makeup. Make it right. <laughs> Catering. Costuming. They just, they, they captured the jinkos of the period perfectly. Those are back. Those are back. <sighs> um, yeah, so we're going to talk about Rebel Boot. That'll be fun. But first, what's happening in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And deep in the demon wastes, the party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the chaos of Zoriath onto the material plane. Unfortunately, the quarry have beaten them to the demon wastes, and hundreds of translucent nightmares grind their way northward through a scrum of fiends, hacking apart flesh in a grueling slog toward the lone splinter on the horizon. There stands Broken Stone, their guide Batul tells them, pointing at the distant spire. The sages say it was once much closer to the labyrinth, but it has been burning its way northward for eons, and now it lies beyond the eternal battlefield. As far as I can see in both directions along the blasted plain, fiends are at war. Party can tell that fighting their way across will only lead to the heroic deaths Milok promised them. But Bramble has an idea. They bid farewell to Batul and clamor across the cracked stones, sneaking closer to the battlefield cloaked by Warden's druidic magic. When a window opens in the scrum, Bramble casts a major image simulating a massive swarm of biting insects. Even the denizens of Kyber make way for the wall of creeping doom slowly rolling across the field. 
and hidden within, the party passes the quarry, taking the lead in the race to the Gate of Fire. The din of battle fades behind them just as Bramble's spell runs out, and they begin a forced march to Brokenstone. Though heat radiates from the dusty ground, the journey is uneventful. The fiends seem uninterested in a wasteland without souls to corrupt. After two days and nights on foot, the splinter has resolved into a low mountain range, but its highest peak is sheared off as if with a giant knife. At the foot of the mountains, a ring of dark stone surrounds an empty basin that looks like it once held liquid. On a hunch, Zan invokes the Cerulean sign, the ancient symbol of the Gatekeeper Druids, and the ring crumbles away, leaving a hole in the rock. Lenore and Switch affix grappling hooks and descend first into the darkness, with the others right behind. A gentle rumbling greets their ears, along with an oppressive heat. Deep underground, an open chamber glows with the red light of flowing lava. In the fiery stream, an island of rock is anchored by four opaque orbs, one in each corner. Nothing else moves. Eventually, Switch draws near and hefts an orb. Behind her, the lava bubbles, and a smooth form emerges from the lava. Giant bat wings unfold and thick arms stretch into the air. One clawed hand clutches a flaming sword, while the other clutches a whip sheathed in lightning. But on the other side of the island, another pool of lava bursts to reveal a smaller, putrid form, gripping a sickly-looking mace. Across the island, the Baylor and Pitfiend, sworn enemies, eye each other, then move in tandem to attack the party. And we'll find out what happens next, next time. But this time we are talking about taking inspiration from bad movies. For example, Rebel Moon. Uh-huh. I mean, we have a series of like, hey, taking inspiration for your campaign from said movie or piece of media or video game or what have you. Uh, and someone on our Discord uh, suggested Rebel Moon. And then, of course, the conversation turned to, okay, but it's a bad movie. And why would you, how would you take inspiration for it? Uh, from it. And it is, I think, actually, there are lots of ways to take inspiration from something you don't like or that was not particularly good. It's just a movie. <laughs> like, it's not. Yeah, a film that failed in every, in every possible way. You can tell it was written by a seventh grader. You can tell. I mean, like, is it Star Wars? No. But if you, if, if you turn the same eye to Star Wars that everyone wants to do with this movie it's like you'd rip it to shreds too but here's but here's the thing star wars already exists right true but and star wars has heart and that's what's lacking is that there's no heart (laughs) it is it is a hollow moon yes which is why it's just a movie there's no moon in this movie no moons that is an oversight space stations or planets that's <laughs> open, dusty fields. <laughs> look, 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 we're, we're not here to review the movie. Everyone else has already done that, to your point. We are here to talk about, look, maybe you love the movie. I don't think, I don't think anyone loved the movie. Maybe you hated the movie. Maybe, no, I'm like that's not the case. Maybe like many people, you started watching it and you stopped watching it. I think that is also fine. I think the very first thing you can take away from this is the things that you hated don't do those things, right? Like a sinking ship uh, on its side, you can go, oh, I see the mistake that was made here. I think I will not do that. Uh, And you can avoid some obvious pitfalls that 
most filmmakers should normally be able to avoid. Most screenwriters should normally be able to avoid that were not avoided. I also think you can look at, look at a movie and say, you know what, I think there were some good ideas, but they were not well executed. I don't like how they were executed. I don't think they pulled it off. But maybe there's something to be salvaged here. I can take the kernel of that idea, the thing that I did like. Perhaps, maybe, there should be moons in this mm. story. Mm-hmm. 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 And then execute them better in your campaign, or at least differently in a way that you and your players would enjoy. Yeah, and then likewise, there are bad ideas, terrible ideas that are executed well. They might not be choices that you would make, but there's something to learn or something to gain from the execution. And I think like even the haters say this about Zack Snyder, which is he should have just been a cinematographer, right? Like Uh, he shoots things well. You clearly don't spend enough time on the internet (laughs) because the haters think Zack Snyder should die in a fire for reasons completely unhinged. He should die in a fire for no story reason, uh, but his death won't actually cause uh, any emotional response in the viewers who watch it happen because we don't know anything about him or why he's here or even his name. Is that well, what that I will say? It? What I will say is, it's a it's a very meta idea that we're going to make a move. We're going to do an episode about how to uh, borrow ideas from a film in which the filmmaker just borrowed ideas from his favorite movies growing up, <laughs> and and in some cases tried to execute them beat for beat. And I think this is this is the difference for me anyway between like a movie, right? Like a relatively passive viewing experience until you get to the internet um, versus a tabletop game, which is at a table with like four or five of your friends, you can often like wholesale rip off things that you all liked, take pieces of media as a touchstone or even as whole cloth and like stick it in front of them at a table. And part of the joy is going, oh, I recognize this. Oh, wait a second, I get the shorthand. Hold on, we're like, this session we're playing, like, this is this is an X-Wing dogfight. That's what's happening right here. I get it, you know? Whereas like, on screen, I don't want to see a rehash of an X-Wing dogfight in like Walmart X-Wings, you know? <laughs> because I have already seen that. <laughs> It already exists, you know? But part of the fun at a table is playing these things out, you being in control of the characters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and I think for me, like, if you have, if you've struggled on getting through Rebel Moon, fine. I also had to, like, stop it a bunch of times and start it again to, like, get through it for this episode. But I think for me, the turning point from being really annoyed that I had to watch this movie and being like, I've seen this before, this is ridiculous, to hold on, I think there's something valuable here for my game was when I realized it's a bad movie, but it is a very, very good production of a tabletop 40K game (laughs) that was actually played out by friends at a table. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it was a 40k game. Like, like a 40k RPG I don't game. Think it, no, I don't like, think so. Like an RPG but game. But yeah, it, was de- it definitely has the feeling. Uh, 
in some ways, <laughs> in some ways, almost more genuinely feels like a movie adaptation of an RPG campaign than the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. Because yes. the Dungeons and Dragons movie all fits together too nicely. This does not. Right, like the D and D movie makes sense, and you're like, there were screenwriters involved. The clunky dialogue, the the lack of characterization, the woodenness of some of the characters and the speeches in this movie, the random exposition that just goes on and on is absolutely something that you would see at a table, but it would work because like, I care about your character because you and I have been sitting across a table for like three years <laughs> watching your character like slowly evolve and like your the dialogue that is coming out of your mouth, right? Like the other player's mouth is of course not vetted by a screenwriter. You're coming up with it. Like you're, you're pulling it out of your ass as we speak, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't expect it to be Oscar worthy. I am listening for the emotional content that my character could then connect with. Right. And so like, that's absolutely the level that like sometimes exists in this movie. But when I was listening to it with that ear, I was like, okay, I can feel that. I feel that. And like, what, what role is being called for here? And what is the bargaining that is happening with the GM here? And like, oh, that person's silent in the background. Cause like, it's not your turn. You know, like, I don't, it makes sense that you're not talking. It's not your turn. Or like you missed this session, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, oh, I can, I can definitely like forgive much more of this movie if I enjoy it in this capacity. Sure. Oh, this session is, um, you know, Frank rides a hippogriff, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like every everyone's been in that session before. <laughs> like I was okay with it. <laughs> Why are we here? We're here for moral support. While Frank rides a hippogriff. I mean, it's it's been beaten to death. But none of the seven samurai scenes, like, <laughs> like none of those work as a full session. For exactly that reason, which is everyone is bystanding while one person does a thing and then joins the party and just stands around. Joins the party for no reason, but that that is like... Never speaks again. That's every one of our campaigns, which is, oh, it's a new person and they join the party. Did we ever actually like convince them to join the party? No. Did they give a reason why they joined the party? No. It's fine. They're in the party because they're a new player and they have to play something. <laughs> True. <laughs> Are we gonna let them do anything? No, <laughs> no. You gotta, you gotta earn your die roll, right? <laughs> to actually sort of get back on track to like what, what can you use here, right? Like, I think this movie tells you a lot about world building and maybe like what not to do with world building. Like one thing that you get from like picking and choosing bits and pieces of other movies and sort of sticking them together is that they don't mesh right they don't cohere because they all come with baggage around them like there's a robot right and it talks and i i think i'm supposed to think it's a droid but it doesn't act like a droid and even though like nominally it's kind of like c-3po was like is this a man of iron or is this a star wars protocol droid i'm not sure and it's kind of like a little bit of both right so what happens is when you are pulling these touchstones that you know your players are going to either understand or maybe identify with, right? You need to keep in mind the baggage that comes with them, right? Like what is it about 
a droid that people like? What is it about a droid that is signaled by its presence rather than by its actions necessarily, right? Once people understand, oh, Star Wars has droids, I know what droids are. Right? Like if you, if you walk into a warehouse and there are 40 droids in a warehouse, you're not afraid because droids are often performed like manual labor and they're not scary, you know, unless they're obviously B2 battle droids, right? But normally it's just like, okay, yeah, this is just droids. Great. This is a room full of mops. Who cares? Whereas like, if you, if you are in a setting or if your setting has war robots, war droids, men of iron, men of iron corrupted by chaos, what have you, necrons that look like robots, whatever, that's an extremely different feeling when you walk into that warehouse and are confronted by 40 miniatures. And you need to know, and your players need to be on the same page about like, what does this mean, right? Unless you are trying to like do a bait and switch Shyamalan thing, right? Which like is, I don't know, great every like 10 sessions, but doesn't work for world building. I don't know what to say to that. Let me ask you this. What did you feel about the the lack of a coherent political or military structure. Like, I don't necessarily think you need to have that written in stone or like in a way that makes a lot of sense. But I, but I do think you well, need I, to you know. You need to know, like, because like, well, like it, I don't know. It kind of like it, it felt like I don't know every Star Wars and forty k world ever like except the imperium's also kind of the good guys i guess because they got some sort of like princess who heals birds I, are they the good guys and dynastic power is good like the lion king or are they they bad guys because now that's been usurped and like why was the good king sending out all these like war vessels in the first place it is confusing well i mean yeah i, I don't think we know <laughs> <laughs> but like ah but we must wait for the snyder cut well i mean i think you probably have to wait for the second one or maybe we'll never find out who knows but like i don't <laughs> think that question needs to be answered in order for the film to work uh or for the setting to work right like well well hold on a second if you were at a table and like this was the setting right and you can say oh yeah no you'll hey i'm the gm and you will find out eventually right but like as a player i would have questions i would be like wait wait do we like the Imperium, or do we not like the Imperium? Or did we used to like the Imperium, and now we don't, now that, like, Belisarius is in charge? Like, I don't know, and I need to know how my character feels. I think you're generally not supposed to like the uh, the faction led by Belisarius. <laughs> like, I think but that's how are we supposed to feel about hint. the old Empire? Like, the robot likes the Empire, but is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> like, but that doesn't make it incoherent, right? Like, my, but my, char my character would know. That's what I mean. Like my character would know. If I'm writing a backstory and my and my character isn't, you know, 11 years old, then they would have grown up under the old empire and they would have feelings about it. Yes. Is the mother world good or bad or bad recently? I don't know. And th those are the kinds of questions that I think will be asked at your table by people like me. And you need to have an answer, right? And it's either... Don't worry about it. You will get there. Or, yeah, here's here's what you think, right, growing up, at, given your age and where you came from. Yeah. I mean, sure. Agreed. So Zack Snyder needs to tell me about my, what my character thinks. 
<laughs> okay, for you to play a game in Rebel Moon. Got it. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, do you think there's any character on screen who is who doesn't know how they feel about the Imperium? I mean, they don't like it right now. But right. did they like it before? Well, I'm not clear on what the time frame is on the before anyway. So, <laughs> like, like, that's, that's my point. We're not clear, are we? <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's that's the less coherent part. Is what's the timeline? I don't think the structure is particularly coherent. <laughs> and then, and then, I think one more point I want to make about world building is. I, I don't think you need to be as tied down to verisimilitude as I think Zack Snyder was in creating the setting, right? Like, obviously, he took, he took different parts of different settings and made a pastiche, right? But he just sort of put things in here where they exist because they exist in other settings or they exist and we don't really question them. But, you like, you don't, you don't need them. Like, for example, in D&D, Forgotten Realms has, like, just so much slavery, right? Just, just so much, and just like so much racism, and it doesn't need to be there. It doesn't really do anything for the setting. Uh, as soon as we're introduced in Rebel Moon, we find out that like this little farming community, which I guess is supposed to be idyllic, is like pretty patriarchal, and is very much like, hey, as soon as you get married and start churning out babies who can farm, then you'll really be a part of this community. Oh, and the soldiers exist for the threat of sexual assault. Like, none of that has to be in there. You don't have to put that in your game. You don't have to put that in your setting. You can just not have it in there. And like, it doesn't affect your story, you know? Like, if I, if I was going to create a world from whole cloth, I would make it different, more different, right? Like, verisimilitude is not important. Right, but that part of it is the contrast, right? Of like the, like one, it's setting up the, I mean, look, it's Tatooine, right? So, but it's setting up the idea of like the, uh, like dark age dirt farmers, right? Contrasting like the odd bits of high tech that they have, right? Which is very much Tatooine. Um, and then, that is then further in contrast of the Imperium itself, which is like not patriarchal though, you know, it's like, it is like the weird, I don't know, inherited succession. You know what, you know what this movie feels like and not necessarily in a bad way. Chronicles of Riddick. It does feel like Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> which like, do you keep what you kill? Is that, is that right. how it works? So that's actually, which is, <laughs> which is actually my point about all the criticism of this is it's like if it wasn't Zack Snyder's movie it would just be like okay well is it cool or is it not why is Judy Dench in this movie why is Anthony Hopkins <laughs> right? in this movie <laughs> I mean Anthony Hopkins is is clearly in this film as a favor right. he was like I'm not showing up to set fine I'll just ADR my lines and also you get me for 15 15 lines that's it so do what you will with me uh it's so, yeah i don't know you're like i i mean i agree with you you don't need any of those elements but they are there who knows if they're there with any sort of intent but like they're there 
at least serving as a contrast. Um, though I very much agree with you that you could find other reasons yeah. that soldiers are bastards. <laughs> this, this, there's a long list. <laughs> the whole part of the bullying, the, uh, <laughs> bullying, the, uh, pacifist <laughs> droid. He's, he's your equipment. That was enough. <laughs> <laughs> he carries your stuff. <laughs> uh, um, Ugh. okay. So anyway. let's see what other lessons can we actually take from this? Uh, I think, RPGs in a lot of ways, are, well, RPGs are just a lot more forgiving with things, mainly because it's a much slower pace, right? Like we sit at the table. Um, if you didn't like something that happened or something really didn't work, next time we can all just kind of forget that it happened. We can retcon it in our heads, right? If if I start with mm -hmm. a character that has a backstory that makes no sense, like I'm not familiar with the setting or whatever, or it's kind of incoherent because I made it last minute, or my motivations don't really make sense or don't mesh with the rest of the party, guess what? Next session, they changed, or or like, you know, we handshake across the across right. the metaphorical table, and like my motivations change pretty quickly, and we don't need to roll for it. Right. Or I made bad choices because uh, I was drinking last session, and now I need to fix that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And and I think like it was such an RPG thing to get the the backstory of. I don't, oh, Cora, right. That's that's her name. Sophia Patella needs to be in better movies. I think she's a good actress, but I can't tell because she's just always in really bad movies. Um, suddenly she's the daughter of the BBEG. That is 100% a PC backstory. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and you know what? I, it didn't work in the movie, but it absolutely works at a table because now you have buy-in, right? Your player is invested. You can't complain about being a Mary Sue or, you know, hogging too much spotlight because everyone at this table is a Mary Sue. Everyone is going to hog spotlight because that's how it works. We shift spotlight, we share spotlight. Another thing that I think works in the characterization, well, we, we alluded to this earlier, but like the, the seven samurai <laughs> montage, <laughs> extended <laughs> montage, hour long montage of, uh, of collecting all the characters. Like, it's in that in a film it's in that no man's land of it isn't short enough to be punchy to let you spend time with the characters and it's not long enough to like really have a story arc in and of itself right in the sense of like in the mcu you got an origin movie for every member of the avengers and they got sequels and then they did crossovers and then you got avengers right so like that's how you drag that out uh which you could do in a campaign right like you could have that that background story for each character um or you could hey quick narrate in five sentences how you got here and how the party finds you right um but what you don't want to do is let's spend two hours focused only on one player at a time. And that kind of feels like what the movie did there. We went through this relatively recently, like a couple of weeks ago, we brought a new player into our Pathfinder second edition game. And it didn't, it didn't derail the story, but what happened is, you know, we played the session before and then the session where the new character shows up, the majority of that session was the integration of the new character. But, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the new character show in a lot of the ways that, you know, Rebel Moon sort of introduces characters where 
you know, now they start to showcase their abilities and you're like, oh, that's why you're here, right? You write a hippogriff, you fight a drider, you know, um, you have a talk with your sister, I guess, and, and that's it. But it worked in our session because everyone was involved in the conversation. I think maybe that's something that's missing in the Rebel Moon montage is, okay, we get a new person, great have a conversation. Every person can have an opinion about this new person and whether or not they're a good fit in the group with like, you know, above the table, obviously the goal is to integrate them into the group and to like give everyone in character reasons for accepting them. Right. But yeah. you know, in the fiction, you can all disagree and have a fun argument. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like when you're, when you're bringing in new characters into a party you're trying to figure out what the dynamic is between your characters um and so you want space to explore that i don't think that's necessarily different from the seven samurai montage either <laughs> like it's just that like it, the secret like the order of things right like as you're bringing them on board is when you're having that as opposed to when you montage it they're on board and now you're figuring out your dynamic afterwards, right? But like, even when we bring in a new player, right, to Pathfinder, a fair bit of that session was antagonizing the character and wondering <laughs> why he's joining our party at all. Why would you want? Why would you want to be here if you don't have to be here? Right. Oh, you have to be here. Okay. Okay. And and in fairness to Arnie, he made a character who's rather <laughs> unlikable. <laughs> His whole shtick is that he's a failed circus magician. So, you know. Good job, Cam, who's who's GMing this campaign. You know, you like gave an in-story reason why he has no choice but to join the party and we have no choice but to bring him. Right. So Exactly. <laughs> that works very well for, for the character as well. So I will say one one thing that you want to avoid that the movie does and like I actually think it works better in in a movie than an RPG is um, single player combats. <laughs> like I think the hippogriff thing can be handled as like skill checks or you know one or two or like a narrated montage, right? Whereas like the solo fight with the drider, if actually played out in most games, is going to take like an hour of tabletop time with just the GM and one person rolling dice and everyone else sitting there doing nothing oh yeah so like don't do that um although it very much plays out on screen like that was exactly what was happening because i noticed three quarters of the way through the player was like oh wait a minute um my swords have the force keyword uh so <laughs> they're actually on fire <laughs> and they deal energy damage i didn't yeah. i didn't realize that well let's not go back and do it let's just just they turn just on now. Yeah. Here. oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> Uh, we got lightsabers. It's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> of course we do. <laughs> we do now. And I mentioned this before, but like, I think one thing that Zack Snyder does well for the most part is cinematography. Like for the most part, things are pretty barring. Like, I don't think the hippogriff scene looked pretty good. It looked like pretty bad green screen. Honestly, there are a couple spots where I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't look good, you know, but it is valid. It is sometimes a really good idea. It is useful to blind your audience, to blind your players with pretty things, with minis, with Dwarven Forge terrain. Not, this is not an ad. It's just the only 3D terrain that I know, I know the name of, uh -huh. you know, um, with like, 
with tiles. Like I've talked before about, I had a GM who managed a Kinko's. And so like every week he'd show up with these huge printout maps under like plexiglass. So we'd come in and it would just be, there's a whole freaking town. And like, it was immersive. Mm -hmm. It absolutely was, you know, and, and people who show up with like their boxes of minis and you pick exactly the right mini for like the monster, like it, it changes something. It, it, it feels more real than like, you know, the, the paper towel holder <laughs> that symbolizes the dragon. Yeah. I, or I mean, you know, now that we have virtual tabletops too, right? Like grabbing a map that fits or having like those animations or like, I remember in dark sun, Angela was playing around with dynamic lighting. So there was like a maze that was genuinely a maze on account of you couldn't really see things once you stepped out of the corner. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So like those kinds of things. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's not that the maze was great, but that made that session memorable because of like the trappings of it. Right. And then, you know, obviously it was fun to explore. Right. And that's not to say that like you can excuse bad content for, by just making it pretty, but but you at can, a table, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah, some, sometimes sometimes the content is, hey, this is a really pretty thing. Look at this. Like I made a castle and you guys are fighting in an actual 3D castle. Isn't that amazing? Yes, that's what we will remember about this session. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, the the equivalent in a game of the, the Zack Snyder, like moving camera slow-mo, <laughs> like the the you know, the shooting past the camera montage that uh, is how he films all of his fights, like can be accomplished through that sort of combination of like good description, but also like you're just like, you can just invoke, you know, the Superman or the, uh, the warehouse fight from Batman versus Superman. Right. Or like, you, you remember that part of 300, right. Where like they're spinning around and it's like, you know, you're stabbing here and then you're blocking there. Like, or, uh, I suppose the, <laughs> the iconic part of rebel moon is jumping onto the canopy of a spaceship and slamming an ax through it. I guess that's the iconic part, right? It's a jump. I, I, I think so. Like that. Okay. So I a hundred percent agree with you that like the thing that RPG players should be most thankful to Zack Snyder for is those pretty scenes that we then invoke during description. Well, we right? do like the you, cool thing too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, you describe it and then, you know, on, in addition, you add like you, do you remember that scene in this movie and people are like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I, I a hundred percent know what you're talking about and now we're all envisioning it the same in our mind's eye and that's even more useful when it's theater of the mind i agree with you like that the the end of rebel moon and like fine like spoilers whatever you know well uh, that shot uh, that shot is in the trailer so <laughs> <laughs> so but like you know the, the whole way that <laughs> the whole way that that played out when i was i mean i'm already well deep into like being like okay this is a tabletop game like that they just stuck on a screen right like almost like word for word and I'm watching it and I'm like, but this was a good session. This was a great session, actually, right? Because you see things happen in the background. You're like, wait, how, how did that get there? Why is the dread not there? What? None of that matters. None of that matters at your table, right? Like the spacing and things like that don't matter. What matters is, okay, everyone's here. Like this role decides whether 
everyone is going to break free or you're going to like move to a jail scene, right? And like, does it make sense that if you turn the the little head switch thing the other way that it frees the person? That makes no sense. No, uh, <laughs> it, but it, no. it does not. <laughs> but in the moment, hey, I succeed on my thievery check or whatever. And the GM is like, you turn it the other way and it unlocks like that perfect sense. Right. You know, like you rolled an 18, it, it unlocks. Uh, and then what, how did I get the, I mean, I'm going to just guess like used to use D and D terms, probably the barbarians play or angry. I killed your followers, right? Like you took the leadership feat. Um, I killed your followers. You get bonuses. You're very angry about like me killing your followers. And now what do you want to do? Oh, you want to do something crazy? Like, insane yes i was gonna go punch a spaceship right and like do i get bonuses for doing something dumb yeah you get bonuses for doing something dumb of course you do yeah right. you want to sorry you want to run at the spaceship and then jump at the turret that just killed your friends and then stab through the sorry through the windshield with your axe yes of course of course you can do that yes um and you get a fistful of dice to do it i will tell you right now though the consequences will be dire yeah. <laughs> there's a recurring theme in this film that getting close to someone almost certainly means you'll die too yeah. <laughs> like, like keep your enemies at arm's length or else you will both perish he stabs through the through the cockpit right uh-huh and he stabs the pilot but doesn't kill the pilot right and i was like oh that's you rolled a five. Right. You success rolled a five. You didn't roll a six. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like you succeed. You, you totally stab the pilot. You have a consequence and that consequence is level four harm. You get shot in the chest twice. Right. Exactly. Okay? And yes. Okay. I accept that. That's, that's reasonable. But now you are dying, right? You die. So now I invoke my house rule, which like everyone should have, which is your character's dying. Let's do something cool. And I, I could just envision that player being like, I can do something cool, like, yeah, like, you know, one more action or say something or utter a dying curse or something. And they're like, I'm in the cockpit, right? Yes, you're in the, you're in the cockpit. And there are controls in the cockpit? I mean, yeah, yeah, there are controls in the cockpit. I'm going to die onto the controls. You're going to, you're going to, yeah, and that will, you know, that will push the dreadnought into the platform and like, Let's see what those consequences are. Yeah. And me as a GM, I'd be like, you know, you know what? You know what? You're dying. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You you fall under the controls. And for some reason, the controls in this turret control the entire dreadnought. Who cares? Doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about it. And the whole thing lists and slams into the tower and like, let's roll some dice and see. Whoa. Well, that was a good death. That was a good death. That was worth it. It was a ridiculous session. Your character's very, very dead. You're going to roll up a new one. That's fine. I'm sure that's the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to get... Oh, you're going to play a robot? <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's>, okay. <laughs> and like, look, watching it play out on film, I was like, this is silly. But if this happened at a table, I would love this session because we didn't worry about the particulars too much, right? right. We, we went, we're like, we went on vibes, mm -hmm. you know, like, like, Every other sentence was, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm going for? And everyone at the table went, yeah, yeah, I feel you. You know, and like, yeah, I don't think it translated well to a screen, but man, it would be great at a table. That said, the scorpion chairs are freaking rad. That is such a good idea. 
like oh the the like the binding mm-hmm. i mean chairs? Like, granted yeah you know yeah. like <laughs> sure they have an exhaust port sized flaw <laughs> but like, well they were designed by galen urso did yeah, you know that yeah apparently we'll find that out later <laughs> right <laughs> but like i mean for the the previous 45 minutes those things looked terrifying and uh, amazing <laughs> oh yeah it was like it was so claustrophobic yeah um i will i will also say don't um like i think the movie squandered a perfect opportunity to uh raise the stakes closer to the bbeg but instead they brought the villain back to life like let that villain go out in style like they did mm-hmm. get a new villain knowing they made both at the same time like 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 if this were ryan johnson's star wars i would be like wow that was a horrible decision because you have no idea what they're going to do with this afterwards because you don't get a choice <laughs> you've already been fired there's a world in which that choice does not feel horrible because of what they end up doing with the character when he's reborn well, I think also at a table, you wouldn't, your party wouldn't necessarily know that happened. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't see that like end credit scene or whatever necessarily. You might, but you might not. Right. And I mean, I think it's all a matter of like the timing of when that, what is revealed to the audience. And, and I think, I think like not to split hairs, but that should have been the beginning of the, of part two and not the end of part one. But what do I know? It, it would have been a better place for it, yeah. I mean, we can argue about whether it should exist, but it would be better. Well, right, yeah, sure, exactly. Like, <laughs> just it just in terms of pacing out two movies, like it's probably a better starting point than it is end point. But uh, you know, don't don't undermine your session cliffhanger. <laughs> like, start your next session with that reveal, right? Or even or even better, a year later, right? Like they face him again. And like, how did this happen? Flashback, and there's the scene. Yeah, I mean that. Sometimes that feels unearned, though. I, that's a tricky thing to do if you don't do it in like close proximity, right? Then you end up snoking it. Well, that's why I wrote it in this envelope. <laughs> Good point. And I sealed the envelope, and then I put it on our game. <laughs> and I table, gave it to Steve no one Harvey. Touched it Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I asked a hundred people. <laughs> no. <it> was th- <laughs> Oh, when he read the results of the Miss America, <laughs> he read the wrong name. What job to do? Read the name in the envelope. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway. Ah, uh, so um, as a GM, you have one job to do, which is uh, make sure people have fun at the table, including yourself. So look, get uh, your players' reads on Rebel Moon so that you will know what they like and what they don't like. It'll tell you a lot. It'll tell you a lot about who they are uh, as gamers. You know, there's the there's a, a principle that we've talked about before, which is like, you know, you need the session to be like three to four hours and have an ending. I mean, the movie was two hours and had an ending, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you you do remember that fight at the end, don't you? <laughs> I I do remember that fight at the end. Uh, I remember that it had a very very long beginning. I remember looking at the clock and being like, wow, I'm 30 minutes in and nothing's happened. Well, 30 but you minutes know what? in. That's every, that's every session. That's every, that's every one shot. <laughs> yes. Also, every session <laughs> begins happened? with the yeah. Glorious Bastards. <laughs> From now on, <laughs> every session is a Glorious Bastards.
Either you're in the in the basement pub or you're in the interrogation at the beginning. One or the other. Every session has Inglorious Bastards. Uh, <sighs> what a train wreck of an episode. And I think, well, we took inspiration from yeah. that movie. <laughs> um, I, here's what I will say is I have no idea why this would be the case but they've already talked about there being a four-hour cut of this movie and like it was released on netflix and they're gonna release the four-hour version on netflix in april so like why not just release that in the first place if that's the version you'd prefer like it's not like it was in a theater where you have like the constraints of theater timings and showings per day and how many screens can you book it's on streaming so i don't know why they would do that and i'm pretty sure it's just because like snyder cut is now a meme but maybe some of these problems will be fixed in a longer movie don't you want to come back and watch <laughs> <laughs> what if we do an episode where you watch it and then, and then you then find out tell us all about it <laughs> great i mean i will watch it i don't mind Oh my goodness. Um, well, what about this? Why don't we do what you have done before, which is the next time you run a game, just make it be the Snyder cut of Rebel Moon because none no, of us, yeah. none of the rest of us will have seen it. Well, the problem is that I can read a 40K novel in about three and a half hours and it takes four hours to watch <laughs> Rebel Moon. So I think I'll just read a 40K novel. It's, there's, just, there's always another 40K novel. Exactly. <laughs> Steal from the best. Or at least the closest at hand. So before we go, one more uh, aesthetic question for you. How did you feel about the, the starships? Uh, I mean, less iconic or eye-catching than Star Wars ships. Although, like, so that's hard to parse from nostalgia, right? right? But I think objectively you can be like, oh, an X-Wing looks cool. And like a star destroyer looks menacing, you know? Yes. And I, and I think like, like my father saw star Wars in theaters in 1977 and he, you know, still as like an adult, like as like a 30 year old man, he saw it, right. He wasn't a child. And you know, he would years later tell me like, they looked menacing. Like you knew that's what they, they were here to stand on business. That's what they were there for. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were, and, you know, that was, they look like sharks for a reason. Right. Yeah, Exactly. And I think these these weren't bad ships. They were they were fine. Uh, I did not love the warp tech. Uh, they <laughs> literally decloacad in space. In space. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's an like, unfortunate visual effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. I, like I don't I don't know if you, you can blame you know Snyder for that specifically. Unsure. Oh, I'm I'm confident that you can. <laughs> i'm sure plenty of people have <laughs> uh but i'll i'll also say that like i think they take a lot of uh inspiration from 40k ships but i find 40k ships far more evocative right like a space hulk or like you can tell faction ships by looking at them right and i couldn't i couldn't tell good guy ships apart from bad guy ships in this movie well, there weren't really much in the way of good guy ships, though. Well, protagonist versus antagonist ships, right? Like, like on the long shot in space, I was like, I don't know who's in that ship. I have no idea. I literally have no idea. 
and, the, and the quote unquote good guys have one ship, you know, and they couldn't pick it out. But I like, so I did like, uh, I did like that freighter. Like I did like the, the look of the ship that they were bouncing around planets with not moons. Like I thought that looked really cool. Um, did it look like a, like a Corellian Corvette? Was that a kind of like flat? No, Cause it had the like tubular. But it had the engines kind of pointing down, you know, like it had like a, it right. just created like a really cool effect with the thrusters and like all that sort of thing. Um, I don't know that they actually named the ship though, which is probably a miss. But then again, I guess, you know, spoiler or, if they, or foreshadowing, if they named it, right? you, you won't need to know the name of this. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But. I, so, so that one I really liked. I agree on the capital ships though. Like the capital ships are, yeah, I mean, whatever they're, they're sci-fi spaceships, but I, I wouldn't say they're any, they're not as iconic as star Wars or star Trek or even like firefly. Yeah. And those are the ones that sort of came to mind, right? Like a mid-sized ship as millennium Falcon or serenity, like a, and, and you, I mean, you can tell the, the real world analog that is supposed to be, that is used as a touchstone for a lot of these ships, right? And and that is one thing that I did like about the Rebel Moon ships is I did feel like they felt like real ships. Like when, um, when the mother world shows up to like, you know, Tatooine for the first time and like everyone's just sort of standing there and then they just sandblast the hell out of the entire village. I was like, I, I mean, I I have talked to friends who have like been in the army in a desert when like a, a helicopter comes down and like, yeah, you just stand there and get sandblasted. That's what happens, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, okay. I can, I can feel that, you know, that feels realistic. So yeah, I would say it gets points for realism. They didn't feel like fake ships. They just didn't yeah. feel. Yeah. I think that's fair. Evocative to me. Yeah. And I think I can say that a lot about, about a lot of the movie. Like the battle scenes, right? Like we talked before, like Snyder does pretty decent fight scenes and sometimes very good fight scenes. The battle scenes felt fine, right? I was like, ooh, ouch, that looks like it hurts. Or like, I can tell that you are like feeling an emotion and can't really tell which emotion, but an emotion in this combat, right? Slow-mo combat. Um, that wasn't the problem, right? It's that I don't know why you're fighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or who you're fighting all of them except that battlefield scene was so bad <laughs> <laughs> also there were other things like surprised me like okay so they're they're on Tatooine right and they have this farm community and that's like 45 minutes and then suddenly they go to like the next town over and it's all aliens and I was just like where do the aliens come from <laughs> I didn't know that this setting had aliens oh I think like the, cool they okay. were on the moon <laughs> Right on the on the rebel moon, yeah, the far side, the, the dark moon. side of the rebel moon. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh... so so yeah, um, and that doesn't that doesn't seem like a good thing for that farm community if it was all just humans. All right, now that I think about it, yeah, well, you got to work at that. All humans, Keep it all humans. One robot now, and one robot. Right, one robot with heart. Right. And Anthony Hopkins' voice, as long as you don't give him too many lines, and he only has to work a day. You don't yell at him. Don't shoot at him. Right. Offer him water, I guess? Okay. Can't hurt. Literally. Apparently didn't hurt him. 
All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That is the sound of a void cloaca. Didn't know it made a sound, but I guess, you know, there's sound in space in this in this setting. Well, let's move on to the Character Creation Forge and see what's come out of it. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, so this week we're building uh, the Death Star, which uh, was in was in this movie. Nope, that I was believe. a moon. No, that was, was it or was it is the joke that that's no moon in this movie. I, maybe that was the whole point and we just missed it. It went over our heads. Well, maybe the moon was the rebel. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just refused to orbit. It's just, it's just making waves, making waves. All right. All right. The death, the death star. Yes. What uh, is the, the death point, star? The point. <laughs> from, from where, from whence did the death star come? <laughs> it was born many years ago. It is a turbo laser that fires from space. Okay. Uh, uh, literal space metaphorically okay <laughs> for our Great. for our D campaign because there's air in space in the star wars universe. there's air in space yeah right. uh-huh you think that's air they're breathing no it's phlogiston i mean how else do you uh how else do you get sounds of stair of starships flying by uh no you don't know it's the cockpits of all these starfighters are creating the sounds that would be there were there air oh so it's like an electric vehicle so so, <laughs> so that the the, yeah. the pilot doesn't get disoriented by the silence right. of space they pipe in the sound exactly okay and that's why it, it doesn't have any controls on it so if there's a loud explosion next to you it makes the explosion inside the cockpit loud enough so that it deafens you so okay got it that's realism very similitude very, very good safety mechanism <laughs> It's how uh, Star Trek consoles don't have any uh, fuses. Smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the rocks inside of them. All right. So what's the build? It is Genie Warlock 6, Fighter 2, Assassin Rogue 3, Shadow Sorcerer 9. All right. We're going to be here a while. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> the, point, the point of this build is to fly high in the sky, much like uh, an, orbital, an orbital space station, and fire a laser beam uh, as hard as possible at somebody. And in this case, the laser beam is an Eldritch Blast. An Eldritch Blast from as far away as we can, dealing as much damage as we can from that distance. So I will say there are more ways than in this build to add damage to Eldritch Blast. You can get an Eldritch Blast that deals more damage. That's not really what we're here for, although you can at short range pump out extreme amounts of damage with Eldritch Blast with this build if you want to. That's not the shtick. You can use Hex, you can use Spirit Shroud, that's great. Your shtick is be 1,200 feet away and murder somebody. Okay. 600 feet is also good, but you just you can fly a quarter mile in the air and, you know, vaporize every person in a village. <laughs> Given enough time. Are you going to be allowed to do that typically? No, but just know that you can. Okay. All right, so a couple, couple things that are required for this build. First... The race. You are a bugbear. And that is, is, of course, because um, 
David Prowse, uh, the actor who was in the Vader suit, um, was a bugbear in, in real life. Like, like actually, um, actually a goblinoid. Not, not many people know that. Oh. That's why they changed his voice. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. That's news to me. So the, I thought there were multiple Vaders. Uh, yes, yeah, all bugbears. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Then why were they such uneven heights? Uh, How do they give us the bigger Luke theory? <laughs> uh, also, that was a hob- hobgoblin, obviously. Okay. <laughs> why are we bugbear? <laughs> why are we? <laughs> because bugbear... Uh, has long melee reach, which doesn't matter at all. It's because it has an ability called surprise attack. If you hit a creature with an attack roll, the creature takes an extra 2d6 damage if it hasn't taken a turn yet in the current combat. Unlimited. Okay? If you hit a creature that hasn't taken a turn, doesn't matter how many times you hit it, every time you hit it with an attack roll, it takes 2d6 damage. Mm, that's what happened to Alderaan, I get it. Yeah, that's the thing. <sighs> it was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> it was all right so for warlock look there are ways to do this build with no warlock uh but you got to wait a little while to get eldritch blast and we're here to have fun from the get-go so we're starting off warlock we take eldritch blast the invocations that are important are agonizing blast which adds charisma modifier to the damage of every bolt and eldritch spear which makes it its base range 300 feet it's your choice on the your third invocation that you get uh, at level five devil sight is a good one I personally prefer, if your GM will allow it, Misty Visions, which lets you cast Silent Image at will. What is your Silent Image? Uh, why it is of an orbital battle station. So now, or a moon, I don't know, you could do that too. That's also fine. You cloak yourselves in a Silent Image. You fly, which you'll be able to do in a bit. You fly high into the air. You arc over everybody. And then, pew, 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 pew one giant turbo laser that you attack uh, with advantage, because they can't see you, but you can see them. Uh, this works because you disbelieve your own illusion, and they cannot disbelieve your illusion until they spend an action uh, to make an investigation check. Some GMs won't allow this. You know what? That's fine. You just do it with darkness instead. That definitely works, and it's actually better. So GMs let uh, allow the flavorful approach, unless you really want them to be using darkness cheese. A genie's wrath gives you plus uh, proficiency bonus damage once per round. That barely matters. Um, at level four, you'll increase your charisma by two, and then your important spells are hex and spirit shroud for short distances. Again, these spells only work at short distances. Hex within, I think, sixty feet. Spirit shroud within ten. That's fine for normal play. It's actually great for normal play. You will pump out ridiculous amounts of damage with either of these spells at short range but for the shtick <laughs> you're not going to use them because you're too far away uh if freedy is a good choice for your genie because that gives you both scorching ray and fireball scorching ray is great and works with pretty much everything in this build except eldritch spear you can get like a 600 foot scorching ray and murder everything um and fireball is just fun because it's fireball you also get fire resistance and then at level six for 10 minutes a day Proficiency bonus times per day. Sorry, for 10 minutes, proficiency bonus times per day, you fly. No concentration required, which is great because you're concentrating on darkness or silent image to get advantage on all your Eldritch Blasts. But then we up it a little bit. We really turn into a turbo laser when we take Sorcerer. Shadow Sorcerer gives you free darkness, which is nice. You can see through it without using the Devil Sight invocation, so you could just take that for something else. It's okay. 
Uh, Font of Magic lets you eat your Warlock Sorcerer slots, which recover on a short rest to get more sorcery points, which you can convert into higher level spell slots, which is great because you want to use your higher level spell slots um, eventually for things like upcast Scorching Rays at short distance, upcast Spirit Shroud at short distance. Uh, Metamagic is Quicken and Distant. You can't do quicken and distant at the same time. That's fine. Mostly now you are with your action casting Eldritch Blast two to three uh, bolts and quickening for another two to three, right? So you're looking at four to six attacks, each of which are doing 1d10 plus your charisma modifier plus 2d6. Why is it that they haven't acted yet? Because they are surprised. Why are they surprised? Uh, because you have you have illusion magic. You've either been hiding in darkness uh, or you have silent image, but that's not good enough, okay? Because for two levels of fighter, you also get armor shields and action surge, which now means in a single round, you can cast three Eldritch Blasts all at once, all of which are continuing to scale because it scales in your level and not your Warlock level. And then Rogue, one level of Rogue gets you expertise and stealth. Now you are quiet all the time. Uh, and then in the first round of combat, each encounter, you Eldritch Blast three times for uh, two, four, six, between six and nine bolts, all of which add Charisma Modifier and 2d6 damage. But that's not enough. Because at level three, Rogue, you get Assassinate, which means if an enemy is surprised, all of your hits are crits. So now you're looking at 2d10 plus your charisma modifier uh, plus 4d6 per bolt times maybe nine and eventually up to 12. Uh, and that's only if you're doing the shtick. That is only if you're firing at like 300 or 600 feet when you're doing this. Because at short range, uh, you're not doing the shtick anymore, all right? You're still hiding in your darkness, but at short range, you're using Spirit Shroud to add either 1d8 or 2d8 to each of those bolts, or you're using Hex to add 1d6 to each of those bolts. And you're not just using Eldritch Blast. You're starting off with your action casting Scorching Ray, which you upcast to get as many as six bolts. And then you action surge for another six bolts. And then you Eldritch Blast, each of which gets the bonus damage in each of which crits. And then sorcerer levels from then on are just to get more sorcery points so you can do this more often, so you can cast higher level spells. Uh, and, <laughs> and to get higher level spell slots so you can cast higher level spells. Uh, so you can pump out... You can do the math if you want. It's hundreds of damage. Hundreds of damage in the first round uh, from, you know, 12 critical hits. Uh, and that's the build. That's uh, that's the laser from space. <laughs> uh, take ASIs for your feats, obviously. Then you can take Spell Sniper if you really want to, to avoid cover and double <laughs> the range uh, on this attack again. Um, and the darkness bit is is good, right? You can cast it on a ring and close your fist, and then there's no darkness, and you open your hand again. And then you're cloaked in darkness. You can see through it just fine. Enemies can't. Note that even enemies that can see through magical darkness, the, the description of their ability is that magical darkness does not impede 
their dark vision. But their dark vision has a limit. It's usually 120 feet, which means they can only see through magical darkness up to 120 feet. So you are hovering 300 feet above. They can't see through magical darkness that far away, but you can because you are, of course, adjacent to the magical darkness. So again, always you have advantage. You should always have advantage on your attack rolls, and there should always be a disadvantage on attack rolls against you. Plus you have shield. So, hey, stay in the air. Let everyone hit you. No one's going to. The end. <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And now, uh, subscribers at any level get access to our episodes ad-free. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to support the show and help other people find us. And if you do, we'll read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using Fae. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Red Cap. Well, that's it for episode 359 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>